Stand clear of the closing doors, please. What's up, locals? It's Mike and Kenzie coming to you live from the beautiful Truckee, California. In this episode, we talk a little bit about our break from booze, as well as the creative kick in the ass that we all need. So buckle up, bitches. the wagon we're back on the wagon we fell off the wagon again but we are coming off of over a month of a break of alcohol we weren't drinking for more than 30 days for you it was five weeks right mine was unintentionally five weeks but um yeah a really long time to not drink i think that's actually the longest that i haven't drank in years Mm -hmm. and from that how did that feel like overall i want to know about the week one week two week three because I feel like the final two weeks were very easy for oh both yeah, of us. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, my last week was like, uh, well, I have nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. You were gone. I, I got sick. It was <laughs> 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 I wasn't going to drink and lower my immune system. But the first week was really hard because we had decided, I think, on like a Thursday, right, that we weren't going to drink. And... The weekend was coming up. I had a really hard week at work, and I was just ready to drink. I was just like, I want to enjoy myself this weekend. I want to relax. And so I remember saying that weekend, oh, are you sure you don't want to just go out? And you were like, no. We decided that we're not going to drink. We're not going to do that. And I think the second week was still hard because the weekend came up again, and you're just like, I want to do something. I want to have fun. Yeah. But it's after that second week when you start to actually feel better physically and it's easier to make that decision going Mm -hmm. forward. It's important contextually that we talk about, we don't really drink during the week at all. We reserve it for binge drinking on the weekends, Friday and Saturday, usually not back to back days because it completely destroys our weekend. But over the past months, and I mean from November onward, It had basically been either going out every weekend or getting drunk every weekend, doing something where we were kind of damaging our bodies and not making the most of our time. Wait, did you, wait, what did you just say? I'm going back in time. I'm talking about like why we did it in the first place. Oh. Because the entire purpose of that was like we had been drinking almost every weekend since November, maybe October even. And that was last year. So for us to go through all of that, I was like, we need a break. We usually take a month break in February during like carnivore diet. It's always just the time to like, okay, we need to get ourselves back on track, kind of get our shit together. And this year we prolonged that. Mm -hmm. We delayed it. And as a result, it felt more intentional rather than like, oh, we just need to take a month off. And then the moment that, you know, day 31 hits, it's going crazy. Right. right? Because that's what's happened the last two years is bender. Yeah. When we come off. Well, I also have never drink so many weekends in a row like mm-hmm. there's usually one or two weekends like where you're unintentionally not drinking for two weeks in a row and ever since we went to Hawaii last year 
every weekend after that, I have drink. Mm. And whether it's been with like friends or just going out with coworkers or family or whatever, some kind of event was always happening. And it became every single weekend, which was just so not like me. Because even before that, I feel like it was pretty sporadic. We weren't doing it every single weekend. So for me, my body was breaking down. My gut was all sorts of fucked up. I was not able to digest properly. I was getting hives again. I was just like, okay, something is not right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the alcohol consumption. And so, yeah, I mean, for for me, I had been wanting to do it for a while, but I just felt like we had event after event after event. And finally, going into April, we didn't really have anything mm-hmm. to, like, we didn't have any obligation. So it was a little bit easier but I also intentionally didn't hang out with people. <laughs> yeah, well, it was like the end of March, beginning of April, through the midweek of April. I think the hardest part for me was the second weekend. I think that the first weekend was super easy because we made a commitment. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, we're sticking to it. We're going to find something else to do. Let's be creative. Let's contribute more. Let's do more content, whatever it is. We were able to distract ourselves. Weekend two rolls around, and I started getting the itch. Mm-hmm. It was like... I want to go have fun. I want to go do something. I had a stressful week of work. Like I wanted to cut loose and just have no inhibitions. And that's part of drinking for me is just releasing my inhibitions and having fun. It's not a need. It's not like the sensation of even being drunk isn't that great for me. I don't get a whole lot from it. But it's a social aspect of hanging out with our friends, of having something to do, of you know being kind of stupid and just having those ha-ha moments. I enjoy those moments. And alcohol usually helps those moments come a little bit faster. You like to get very reckless too. Like you're like, oh, I like I to just, get rowdy. I want to go. I want to go burn it to the ground. Like that's <laughs> you get into these personality, yeah, <laughs> alter egos. I have alter like. egos <laughs> usually with either whiskey or tequila, but yes. So that kind of rowdiness is really fun because I think most of the time I'm pretty even keel, <laughs> and so I like to get out of that. But by the time the third week had hit, it was super easy. At that point, it was no question. We're going to make it the full 30 days. It wasn't until the finish line was in sight that I was like, you sure you don't want to get a beer? Like, it's been, what, 28, 29 days? We can One beer. What's one beer? Mm-hmm. I'm the bad influence there. It is easier to have another person to do it with to hold you accountable. And every time that we have done something like this, it has been together. Yeah. You know, whether it's the carnivore diet or not drinking, we hold each other accountable and we do it together, which is – it just provides that support system for the both of us. For our listeners who don't know what the carnivore diet is, about once a year, I like to go through these really weird personal challenges that I somehow rope Kenzie into as well, where I want to do something with my diet, with my focus. Usually it has to do with discipline. It always has to do with discipline somehow because I've been reckless for the months leading up to it and I need to like restructure my life. So the carnivore diet is essentially eating Meats, organs, fruits, honey, milk. And that's about it. Really, Organs? Li- yeah. I had a lot of liver last year, not this year. Yeah. This year I had like no liver because it's just so shitty to eat. <laughs> not my favorite. Um, you can get desiccated animal organs, which are like in pill form, so that you don't even right. feel like you're eating organs. But yeah, just not the easiest thing to keep down. So we did that February 21, February 22. And we didn't do it February 23. We just kind of modified our diet to make it more sustainable because long-term eating like that is very difficult and you miss out on some of the fun. You're not having the sweets. You're not having pasta. 
And I love pasta. It's so good. And I love sweets. So, I mean, I I think, too, this year we realized that the last couple years that we did that, when we're so strict with our bodies and our diet, we look forward to that 30th day. Mm -hmm. And we're like, let's fucking go hard. Yeah. Like, we deserve it. And that mindset is actually very toxic. 100%. And super unhealthy. And it's not sustainable. So, I feel like you and I just kind of – you know, we talked about changing our mindset on, well, let's create a diet that just fits our lifestyle. And so we just don't buy sweets anymore. It's mostly frozen fruit. Mm -hmm. And when we do buy sweets, it's very like once every two months. Truly. It's it's become like a, okay, week eight has hit. Should we have some? Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you, if you want to enjoy that, then I do think that you should still have that kind of stuff, like what we do, but to have it in the house, have it every single day, like for us, we just can't control ourselves. <laughs> and so we we just can't buy it. We can't have it in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that we don't want it, but if it's there, if it's accessible, then we're going to do it. But that's what the context of why we chose or to we're gonna do carnivore. We're going to eat it. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's why we did carnivore. And ultimately part of not drinking was part of carnivore. Right. Because it's excess calories in the form of sugar from alcohol. Right. So we did that for the past couple of years. This year, it became much more of just an intentional, let's take care of our bodies more mm-hmm. and just do better. Yeah. And I think that abstaining from alcohol generally has been great for my cognitive clarity. I feel much better. I can think clearly. I felt more motivated in general. And I don't even think it's like a hangover that kills my motivation. It's the fact that I'm not the most motivated to get in the gym when I don't feel my very best. Right. I'm not well rested. I'm not you know, just firing on all cylinders. So when I'm at the top and when I'm feeling great, it's usually when I'm not drinking on top of that. Yeah. And that was that month for me. So coming off of it, I'm also still happy to like drink and have fun with friends, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not trying to get like crushed. Yeah. My, the time that I came off of it, I don't really know how to phrase that properly, but when I started drinking again, like day 31 or 32, was me going to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And for breakfast, I had a breakfast burrito at the Reno airport in a Manhattan. And I got violently nauseous. Because mm. Vi- it's whiskey yeah. for breakfast. <laughs> and I'm waiting for my breakfast burrito to come out. I'm basically just sipping in a glass of whiskey up. And I'm like, oh, a Manhattan. Mm, the cherry smells good. Take my first sip and my body's reaction was like shaking, physically mm. shaking. I felt like I was going to throw up. And then I had some food, and then I finished my cocktail, and I was like, if this is how my body's going to react to booze this entire weekend, this is going to be a rough weekend. Yeah. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. I also slow played it. I wasn't, like, taking shots the whole time. I wasn't drinking the entire time. It was very intentional, and I was hydrating as much as I possibly could. And so there was only, like, one time that entire weekend where I was genuinely drunk. I think Mm -hmm. I was chasing a buzz for, like, a couple hours each time, but genuinely drunk Saturday evening yeah and that's because we bought a bottle and we needed to finish it because we couldn't fly home with it yeah but yeah coming back from that now it's just casual I had a couple cocktails this weekend feel pretty good yeah I think for me because my fifth week ended on Friday Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I had two cocktails and my, I like the first sip, I felt the buzz like pretty immediately. <laughs> and I was like, ah, shit, like this is not going to be good. <laughs> but 
it wasn't really about like drinking in the moment. Like I felt fine. It was more of the next day. Like yesterday was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Like I, I did not feel good at all. I had a hangover and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't miss this feeling. I don't miss feeling hungover on a Saturday. I love waking up feeling bright eyed and bushy tailed, having my morning cup of coffee, going and working out and that starting my weekend or that starting my day, like that feels so good to me. My hangovers last so long and I just, I don't miss it. And so I had to go to the sauna yesterday because I was like, oh my gosh, my body feels so terrible. And I sat in the sauna for 30 minutes and I sweated everything Mm -hmm. out and I felt so much better, like literally mentally clear. Like when I am able to get all of that alcohol excess out, all of the toxins out, I, you, you feel better. Like you have to sweat it out. You have to go work out, go sit in the sauna. Mm -hmm. There is no question about it. Like every time I drink, that needs to be the routine. Well, that's actually, I do want to touch on that. Having a protocol after damaging your body is something that we didn't have previously. Like your habits and your behaviors are usually going to how you feel, how you're going to feel. So when you're hungover, Like previously, it would be all day in bed. Maybe I'll have ice cream and I'm not going to get out of bed Mm -hmm. other than to take the dog out and eat. And like that was the hangover protocol, which is not a good recipe for feeling great. No. Right. So to actually go, okay, I feel like shit. The first thing I need is water. The second thing, I have to go sweat. Yeah. And whether that's working out or sitting in the sauna, but getting up and moving and not just laying there being miserable that is your new protocol. Yeah. And it works so much better. It it reclaims the rest of your day. Right. Because if you just stayed in bed, you're literally going to be in bed from the time that it was dark in the morning until it is dark at night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a it's a terrible feeling. So now having that routine and I and we started to do that before. It's not like after these five weeks, like, no, this is I'm deciding this now. No, like this years of drinking. And yeah, figuring it out. it's it's figuring it out, like what works best. Having that routine is just so vital. Mm-hmm. And just sweating it out in general sweating, like for me, even just sweating on the daily basis, like having some way to just get the toxins, get the excess shit out. Mm hmm. It just makes me feel so much better. Like even even during the week when I'm not drinking and I have work and then I go work out and after I sweat, it's like I can relax after that. You've released the demons. Yes. That's how it feels. Um, yeah, I think that just having protocols in general for your mental health translates to your physical health. Like mm-hmm. the hangover thing is for our mental health more than our physical health. The week throughout the week, just exercising, relieving stress, doing things that are physically healthy for you kind of releases that stress so you don't feel like, damn, I want a cocktail on a Monday night because I'm stressed out and today was shitty. Yeah, like go find a healthier way to release your stress. I mean, well, go do whatever you want to do, but I'm saying for for me, it just doesn't work to drink when I'm stressed out. It's not a healthy way to release. Mm-hmm. It, it really is more of like I want to drink on occasion. I want to drink to celebrate. I want to have it be very intentional, but I don't want to just – casually drink like that it just doesn't work for me it doesn't work for my body so one of the other things with us not drinking for a month was that we had a lot more time on our hands for the weekend to create to do more podcasts to produce and like promote it a lot more we had more fun with that yeah and during that time period I had finished a book I highly recommended it to you and I think you fell in love with it too Oh, yeah. I mean, I 
don't read normally. Like I'm not an avid reader. I would say that I maybe read half of a book a year. Mm-hmm. Like truly, if I'm if I'm being honest with myself and everybody else who's listening, <laughs> um, I I just don't read. That's just I I listen to more podcasts. I'll I'll listen to an audio book, but to physically read. I just have never felt super confident in it. I get bored. I get tired. And this book truly captured my attention. And this is the fastest book I have ever read. Um, Maybe one of the first books I've actually fully completed. And I did not only read this book. I took notes on this book. I reread pages when I didn't understand what it was saying. Like I took my time and fully dove into this book to really understand it and I can I can confidently say that it's changed my mindset changed my perspective on life um changed my perspective on fighting through resistance so so without further ado (laughs) title of this book if you're wondering is the war of art by Stephen Pressfield and it is one of the reads that I think everybody who is in the creative space should read at some point And it feels like something where I want to revisit it every six months because it has such valuable information and it is so digestible. It's an easy read, is it not? Oh my gosh, it's the easiest read. Like the way the chapters are broken down, you're like, oh shit, I'm already through a chapter. It was like three pages. It's like you're going and sitting at a seminar that's really interactive Mm -hmm. and you're having someone almost conversate with you. Like every, like the words just resonated with me and made so much sense. But it also was just like, oh, well, what's the next chapter? Like, what else are you going to say? What other advice are you going to give me? It's like when you're either in a therapy session that's just like lighting you up on fire and you're like, oh, my gosh, like I'm healing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or like when you're in a conversation with a friend and just getting like the best sound advice and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to hear. This book came into my life at the exact point it needed to. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful that you recommended it to me. So. There's a handful of really important topics that he covers throughout it. And I think it's something that we've engaged with a lot throughout our personal lives and our creative process, just making this come to life. Yeah. Um, One of the very first things that he talks about is resistance and how that manifests for different people. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on resistance and what that looks like in your life versus the book, right? Because the book has, you know, 90 different examples and you're not a musician, you're not a comedian, you're not a writer, you're a podcaster, you're a producer, you're a marketer, you do creative aspects. Mm -hmm. So how do you encounter resistance? And actually, before we even get into that, what is resistance? So originally, if I were to think about resistance before this book, I almost think about it as, as like just laziness. Okay. Like that's, that's all that I would think resistance is, is, oh, I don't want to do that because I'm lazy but never really thinking about the complexity of resistance and actually looking at it as an entity. Mm -hmm. So now after reading the book, I would say that resistance is almost like an inner evil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And with a a Christian mindset, resistance is Satan. It's temptation. Yeah. It's pulling you off the path. Resistance, the way he defined it is literally the definition you're feeling resistance towards something whether that's procrastination avoidance you don't want to do it you're putting other things like in priority over it so that you don't create and you don't accomplish right you're getting in your own way for me that manifests as screen time that manifests as laziness that is avoidance that's intentionally doing chores so that I'm not doing the actual creative task that I should be doing it's feeling what I know I should be doing and not doing it 
And that is the worst feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. It literally feels like I am killing myself. Right. So that for me is what resistance is. That's how it manifests. What yeah. does that look like for you? So resistance for me would be not working out. Mm-hmm. Resistance would be not doing the podcast or not researching stuff for the podcast. Resistance would be not reading. So I guess like, I don't know, I experience resistance almost every single day. Like resistance, that's why I was like confused on your question originally because I'm trying to say that resistance, like I experience every single day, no matter if it's what you're talking about with chores or whether it's like the little things, like literally even taking cups out of my car. Mm -hmm. Like knowing (laughs) that I have a coffee cup that I have finished inside of my car, it's trash and I need to throw it away. It will sit there for days. Mm -hmm. Like I know that for me, I like to have things clean. And so that is like a very small resistance (laughs) that I have for whatever reason. Um, So anyway, all that to say, what really stood out to me in the book about resistance is like when to fight through that. Mm -hmm. So something that really stood out is that he said resistance, good resistance, something that you have to fight through will always take you from a lower to a higher. Mm -hmm. And that made so much sense for me because I was, I was literally reading the book and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have to do this, this, and this, and this. And like, I was going through my head of all of the things that I have to check off my to-do list, whether I want to do them or not want to do them it was starting to just make me feel a little bit anxious because I'm like, I have so much to do now. I want to put down this book and do it. I literally read the next chapter and it had said that it was talking about, okay, not, you don't have to like necessarily do everything that you're having resistance with the resistance of like working on something that is truly creative for yourself. Mm -hmm. That is taking you from a lower place to a higher place. It's always going to better you. It's always going to, grow you it's a lot like with the lower example the higher to lower example um, if you were volunteering with starving african children and all of a sudden you have this creative idea where i should write a book a cookbook helping starving african children and writing a cookbook if you're already doing like the morally and ethically better thing that's what you should be doing yeah the resistance of like oh i want to write a cookbook that is, you are actively avoiding doing the right thing, right. Not what you're already doing, and you're trying to escape the, into a easier path, right. right? But if you're just working a normal day job and you get nothing from it, there's no value of you other than it pays your bills, mm-hmm. and you're experiencing resistance of writing that cookbook. Mm-hmm. That's taking you to a higher place. That's where you should write that cookbook. You should put aside your other bullshit, whether it's like, oh, you know, I was going to vacuum the house you're still going to vacuum the house it's the fact that you're procrastinating doing the task at hand that will make you feel better and take you to a better spot that's the cookbook in that scenario yeah so that's that's kind of what i was looking at Um, there is a really fun quote talking about procrastination in general and like let's do it right now and so the best time to plant an orchard was 20 years ago the next best time is right now because you can't go back in time and change that right that's what creative endeavors are, is, oh, I wish I started this 20 years ago. Well, you don't have that. You have right now. And if you keep pushing it off, you're never going to do it. That's like people's unfulfilled dreams is their dying wishes, their deathbed you know, testimony is, mm-hmm. I wish I did this. 
I wish I didn't push it off. Yeah. I wish I didn't put off calling my family and telling I love them. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I didn't put off writing this book until now I'm 80. Right. And now it feels like such a big task and it's really not. Yeah. So people have, and I say people generally, I'm speaking about myself. I have this constant issue with making like my idea, my vision bigger than it actually is. And as a result, feeling the resistance of, oh, it's such a big task. That's a scary thing to go after. I don't want to do it right now. Right. I want to push it off. But you can break it into something so simple in front of you and go, if I wanted to start a podcast, what's the first step? Probably just recording myself talking. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, I need to get the mixer. I need the microphones. We've got to get the YouTube set up. We need to get all. No, that's the work in progress. It starts with just doing it right. and getting better. And so that's overcoming resistance in my life. That's what I've seen directly is let's not put so much, let's not make it bigger than it is. Make it smaller and realize, oh, this is bigger than I anticipated. And you can get better and build on it rather than not not starting at all. Yeah, I think making actionable items that are realistic to complete in your day-to-day is the first step. Because when you do look at the bigger picture, you can get so overwhelmed with what you have to do. And you're like, I'm going to start that tomorrow. I'll start it next week when I'm not as busy or when I don't have this going on. No, when life is always going to have something that you can create an excuse from. But to just start, like literally to just start when you are on your phone scrolling through Instagram, Mm -hmm. when you... Yeah, well, I don't know. That's like the, that's a big one. That's that's a huge distraction. Um, I just feel like that is the time that you can take to research what you need to research to get it done, or just take take the action, take the step, and just do it. Yeah, and that's necessary. Um, there was another thing that I wanted to chat on about just the book in general. Um, he talked about motivation. I think that so many people use it as an excuse of, oh, well, I'm not feeling motivated. You know, I don't have this this desire, this fire inside of me that's like, oh, I have to record right now. I have to write down my ideas. I have to get it out there. I have to wait until I'm motivated. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's total bullshit. He talks about that too. Of 99% of the time, you would be terrible at your job if you waited until you were motivated to work, right? right. But you still show up 40 hours a week Monday through Friday, for some of you it's different, but standard, nine to five, Monday through Friday, you're putting in 40 hours a week. At the end of a year, you've put forward 2,080 hours towards Mm -hmm. getting better. In five years, you have over 10,000 hours under your belt. You're technically an expert. In 10 years, you're a legitimate expert in whatever that endeavor is if you put that number of just concentrated efforts towards, right? Yeah. So you're showing up and being a professional to work, even when you're not motivated right? on Monday, when you're not feeling it, you still open the emails. You still send out the calls. You still do all these different things. Even though you're not motivated, you're doing it. Yeah. I, I think that also goes with what he said about being a professional versus amateur. Mm-hmm. And I was like, literally, as I was like writing that down in my journal, I put like a line on the page just to divide it in half of like, okay, this is what a professional does. This is what an amateur does. And the more that he just kept talking about it through the book, Because he said, you know, the professional is dedicating that action or that passion, creativity, whatever it is, to its life. Like, you you are dedicating your life to that. Mm -hmm. The amateur doesn't love it enough to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, 
that's like the the combination of motivation, resistance, being a prof- showing up as a professional versus being an amateur at it. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with being an amateur, but it's knowing like if you do not show up every single day, even if it's putting 15 minutes towards it, whether again it's like the researching or just talking in the podcast or reading or writing or whatever it is, if you just show up every day, that is being a professional in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is what us getting better at this podcast is too. But it's showing up, it's being a professional, it's putting in the hours and just constantly refining and getting better. Mm-hmm. And I hope that whoever's listening is doing something on the side as well to do that too. Because when you, that was a huge mental shift for me when I read that book was showing up as a professional. I'll show up on Monday tomorrow with work, not feeling motivated. Mm-hmm. I know that about myself. Am I still going to do my job? Yeah. And I have an entire practice that I go through before I even answer an email that gets me mentally ready for my day. Why don't I do that in my creative practices? And then right. I realized, oh shit, I should. So yeah. now I have this kind of like little flow where it's how can I get myself from, you know, having fun zone, it's the weekend, it's my free time to show up as a professional, treat this like work. And it's not boring work. This is work for me. This right. is work for you. This is exciting work. Yeah. This is ours. Mm-hmm. So that little motivation in the back of my mind gets me excited. Yeah. Um, but besides just showing up, you're not going through the motions. You're putting in the hours and you're putting concentrated effort to be good at something. You're trying yeah. to get better. You're not just creating shittiness. You have a like a standard, right? Mm-hmm. So holding yourself to a higher standard is also being a professional. And when people aren't feeling motivated, I think people who aren't in a creative space talk about this more, which is, oh, you know, I don't have that, that drive. I don't have that inspiration. Where does that come from for you? Mm. Like where does my own drive and inspiration come from? Like when you want to create something, you have an idea, right? That idea comes out of nowhere yeah. to you. And then all of a sudden oh. you get up abruptly. You're like, I have to do this right now. I've witnessed that like, almost possess you, right? You yeah. get possessed by an idea. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> not now. Don't distract me. I've <laughs> got to do this. That's a that's a thing that we both do. Right. Well, to be honest, like, oh gosh, it's been more than six months ago. I keep, I whenever I refer to time lately, I'm always like, oh, six months ago, six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that world. time has like gone further. I'm like, I think that was more like eight months ago, nine months ago. Um, anyway, uh, last year during like, October, mm-hmm. I really just started, I started praying a lot and I was just like, I need direction. I need inspiration. Like, and I just, I kept saying it out loud. I just kept praying. And I was like, please God, like open up this direction for me inside of me to have the drive to do it because like, I'm ready. I'm hungry. Like I'm ready for whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, both ideas of like this podcast had come to my mind and then as well as like my like side thing that I have going on both of like the names of it like how it should look like just like the whole creative process started coming to me and I did not know where it was coming from but it took over me and yeah like you said it possessed me but I got obsessed about it Mm -hmm. and I was like I need to create. I don't know where I'm starting with this, but I just need to start going for it. And within like, I want to say two months, I had created a website, pricing, plans, packages, 
um, color scheme, branding. Like, so anyway, I, again, I don't know like where it had come from at the time, but after reading The War of Art, I had realized that there is a word for it. It's the muse. Mm -hmm. And so even before this episode, we just prayed to the muse and said, please (laughs) put the creative energy that we need to put into this bring value, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that if you're showing up every single day, the muse, that entity sees that dedication that you're putting into it. And the muse gives you that, you know, that idea, that creative inspiration, the drive, like it is coming from a higher place Mm -hmm. than yourself. So when talking about praying about the, to the muse, um, there's a couple things that I have in my mind. And one of those is when you make a prayer to Christian God, for example, um, you don't pray for your situation to be easier, right? You don't want the load to be lighter. You ask for your shoulders to be broader to carry a heavier load. It's, It's give me the tools so that I can succeed through this hard situation. Don't make the hard situation easier right? Mm -hmm. Because the hard situation will not get easier by itself. You have to work through that. When you're encountering a creative obstacle, you're not asking for those obstacles to go away. You're asking for a vision to get over that obstacle and get through it. Yeah. And that's where showing up and being professional is. And so when I prayed to the muse before this, it was not give me these great ideas so that we have a fun conversation. It was put me in the right spot so that I can have these ideas come to fruition. Mm-hmm. They're already there. I right. know they are. It's how do we get through them and how do I articulate them better? Well, it's also asking the muse to show your own genius to you, mm-hmm. which was another thing that I really loved. And it's at the very beginning of the book. Your genius is your soul. Mm-hmm. And I loved that they put, I love that he put that into words. It was a Latin definition of genius, right. which is your soul. It's your creative substance. Right. Yeah. And when you truly create out of the intention of that, then anything that you create truly is unique to you. It's already there. It's literally praying to the muse to show that what's already inside of you. And I think a big part of when you're praying to the muse or you're praying to God, you have this weird conceptual thing. It's very esoteric. And esoteric is like hard to grasp Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. That's the definition of the word. So using like an esoteric term like the muse is a little confusing. The reason he uses the muse is because it refers to Zeus's daughters. So in Greek mythology, Zeus had, I think, 13 daughters. Each of them represented a different art or trade and different painters, sculptors, all the great people like Michelangelo, like Socrates, they all had these different inspirations and they would look at the muse and those muses Zeus's daughters were the ones who would influence these ideas out of nowhere mm-hmm. where they'd be uninspired. They'd be sitting there and then suddenly a great revelation would come upon them and it wasn't from their own substance. It was from something outside of them. It was God. It was the universe. And so he calls it the muse because it's this divine inspiration. Yeah. And that's where a lot of ideas seem to come from, especially when you open yourself up to that. Yeah, you have to be open to it. But that's what that's what that prayer is for me is I am open to this, you know, esoteric channel above whatever we consider reality to be, like where it's, you know, I knock on the table and it's hard. I speak and I hear sound. Above that, it's the things that you don't totally comprehend. That's where those organic ideas come from. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm praying to is yeah. let me click into that. And hopefully a little idea spills out through me. That's where Beethoven created his symphonies. 
that's what makes like the greats the greats is because it's in line with the universe it's in line with the flow of like artistic creation yeah because you've seen what a good painting looks like and then you've seen greatness right and there's no tangible difference it's not like oh it's because the lines are better it's because of the placement no there's something weird there and it's hard to connect it's hard to put into words but you know the difference and it's exciting when you see it it's not from here no it's from somewhere else it's alien it's godly (laughs) yeah another couple things that I like about the difference of like the professional and the amateur that he just started to get into is that the professional does not take personal success or failure or sorry wait no let me rephrase that Mm -hmm. The professional does not take success or fail or failure personally. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. Like I just kept kind of rereading that. And it was because I feel like I do so much value success and failure and attach it to my identity. Like if I am really good at something or if I am really bad at something, I do like it's more of a it is just part of my personality or it's part of my identity. And I'm realizing like that is not healthy to have that kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, when I have success, amazing, great. Like, you know, whatever had given me that success, you know, all of the work that I had put into to get to that point and I did it, I need to leave that there and keep working, Mm -hmm. you know, and like rest at the mountaintop. Exactly. Like you can't just, yeah exactly sit at this mountaintop sit at all of these like successes that you have you keep you keep wanting to grow you keep wanting to get better Mm -hmm. Um, that's what peaking in high school is right or peaking in college you're resting on your laurels on your successes and you go ah i can rest now (laughs) and then it's what a plateau you live a very easy life that's comfortable and boring yeah no i didn't sign up for that i don't think you did either no so you're not going to stop at the mountaintop. You're going to realize as you look across this beautiful horizon, oh, there's about a dozen other mountains in front of me and I have to climb even higher. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that involves going down into valleys, but there's also going to be a climb up and it's all part of that journey. Exactly. And I think that goes into the next thing he said is the professional reinvents himself. You know, if you are able to adapt to the change and reinvent yourself along this journey then you are going to be successful and keep pushing through that resistance yeah you can still be the same person if you want but it's reinventing what you do and how you use the tools that you have well it's also just growing and wanting to grow you don't want to stay stagnant and in the same place like you want to get better and the only way to get better is to be able to reinvent yourself and change and maybe Go after a skill set that you've always wanted to have. You know, if you have this desire to do something, it's not for no reason. Yeah. Like there is there is a reason that you have an attraction towards something, a pull towards something. So go do that because that's what you were meant here to do. Yeah. I love that. And also, one one last part that I wanted to touch on with this book, because I don't want to give somebody just a general summary you should go read it for yourself because my interpretation is not the same as yours. It's not going to be the same as anybody's. The most important thing that I think with us being creators and just entering a new space where we technically, we don't have any kind of, it's not value, but what would you call that? Authority, credibility, right? Just a lack of experience. Like we're getting there, you know, every, every episode, every conversation we have, but I wouldn't say that we're the most experienced in this. 
but I think that the only way to get experience is to do it. Right. And to build our credibility is to just continue doing it. Yeah. And eventually, when you have 10,000 episodes under your belt, congratulations. You you have the credibility because exactly. you've been doing it 10,000 times. Right. And you won't have that unless you start doing it today. But what I was thinking about was not being dissuaded by other people's advice and critique. Because everybody has an opinion. Everybody has something they want to chime in for. And I don't give that merit. No. Unless unless you have demonstrated success in the exact thing that I'm pursuing, your words don't hold value for me. And I've had the benefit of being an only child who's relatively independent. My parents will give me advice when they think that I might need something, but they know I'm going to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's been incredibly helpful for me. And reading that in the book, just like I felt more vindicated. Well, I think that's why this book was so healing for me. Because my whole life, I grew up almost like not knowing my own voice. And, you know, it's like I've had always like this really strong intuition, but I have had um, a lot of like confusion over the years because I have such, you know, I have such a loving family that truly does care. And so when you have people that care so much about you, want the best for you, you do get a lot of opinions. This is some backwoods West Virginia knowledge I got from my grandfather, (laughs) which was opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Most of them stink. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, and like you, you've told that to me before, but after reading this book, it really just set in that I have to follow what feels truly aligned with me. And if I keep praying to the muse, putting in the work and really trusting my gut too of like, yes, this feels right for me. This, um, this is like, I have to put in the work. I have to push past the resistance. And if I keep doing that, keep aligning myself and shut out the outside noise, shut out the opinions that everybody will have, I'm going to be in a better place. And that's, yeah, that's why I really love this book because for me, you know, I've just struggled with understanding my own voice and my own direction. And it just gave me clarity that, I have to just trust myself. Mm -hmm. That's super valuable. I think every human probably needs to have that revelation in their lives. That's what some people experience in a midlife crisis, right? They've listened to the opinions and the advice of others for 50 years, and they finally go, no more. I'm going to do what I want to do, what makes me happy. I'm going to buy the yellow Porsche. (laughs) I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to quit my corporate job. I'm going to start something else. And it's, it's taking that like very risky step And it's risky socially, it's risky in a family setting, like, that's scary for a lot of people, but it's incredibly valuable to just the core of who you are as a human, because nobody else gets to live your experience, it's just yours. Right. So, that's why I love my parents, mom and dad, if you're listening, thank you. That being said, they know that their opinions only have so much value because I will continue to do what I want to do. Yeah. And that might be annoying, but (laughs) that's why I'm here. Yeah. Well... I, I love it. I love it all. And I just encourage anyone that is struggling with being creative and wants to get into that space and break through the blocks, please go get this book, The War of Art. Yeah, it's just, it's an amazing book and it will change your life. Peace and love. Have a great week, people.